Hello, everybody. This is Monday, October 14th. I am getting this podcast out a little late again. My apologies. Yeah, just wanted to drop a little note and explain this episode. This is an episode that Andrew Schrader and I recorded with um, writer Michael Molina um, a few months ago. Probably September. So not that long. This is a really fun conversation. Uh, Michael talks about all kinds of good stuff, like how he you know, made it in the um, YouTube era out of New York to producing his first feature film to coming to Los Angeles and working with people such as Jack Black and uh, Norman Lear. It's a pretty amazing road this guy has taken. And, um, you know, he's had a lot of success. He's a staff writer on a Nickelodeon show and doing lots of great stuff. Um, so, you know, I think this is a really good example of what you can do in this industry if you just work really hard. And you don't take no for an answer and you just carve your own path because, you know, certainly I feel like Michael has carved his own path and just, you know, made it happen every step of the way and just not really let things stop him from achieving what he's trying to achieve, you know, which is which is wonderful. I want to give a big thank you to everyone who's supported the alternate crowdfunding campaign so far. We are doing really great. Uh, We're about halfway through. And we just crossed 35% of our goal, which is very good. And I'm really hoping that by the end of this week, we can uh, cross 50%. So if you haven't contributed yet, this is a great time to contribute. Uh, We need to raise $3,500 to cross our uh, 50% of our goal. So basically, that means that we're at almost 9,000 right now. We're about to release a video as soon as we cross 9,000. I think we're like... $25 $25 short or something like that from crossing $9,000. So that'll happen today at some point. And then, um, yeah, we need to get 3500 to our 50% milestone. So, you know, um, if you've contributed already, um, pass, pass the word along, you know, uh, see if anybody in your network wants to help make this happen. This has been going great. I'm really excited about the progress we've made, but we just need to get a push to get us to 50%. So, you know, my hope is we'll have about 10 days left and we'll have 50% left of our goal, which I think will be a really, really good number to be at so we can make the last push to get to cross uh, 100% by um, October 30th. All right, I've yapped too much. Um, thanks again to Andrew and Michael for a fantastic episode. And I hope you guys enjoy episode 227 with writer Michael Molina. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Andrew Schrader. And I'm Alaric Purcell. This week we are excited to welcome writer Michael Molina to the show. Uh, Michael Molina is a Colombian-American writer, performer, and cartoonist who grew up in Fairview Park, Ohio. After graduating from Columbia University, Michael lived in New York City where he produced sketch videos and the feature film Trivia Night with comedy troupe Local Empire. He moved to Los Angeles to pursue his writing career and has developed shows with partners including Jack Black and Norman Lear. He is currently a staff writer on the Nickelodeon series The Casa Grandes and is developing a live action series for Nickelodeon with Eugenio Derbez. I think I pronounced that correctly. You didn't. <laughs> but that's okay. How do you pronounce that? Oh, it's Ohenio, but it was you, oh. did, you did a really good job. Is that a good bio? Do you, is there anything you want to add to that? No, that's wonderful. Um, as long as that, that makes sense, I think that covers it. 
I'm also a murderer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I just saw on uh, your IMDb page that you're working on a Tenacious D oh. cartoon show or something. What is this? Yeah, so through um, developing, so I developed a cartoon with Jack Black uh, called Hey, It's the Mansons, where he was Charles Manson. And it was about how uh, it was it was like the Manson family were the Brady Bunch and they wanted to get famous as a musical family band. But the only thing getting in their way was that they killed everybody. Um, And so we got close doing that. And he after we didn't sell it, people were like, this is way too dark. You guys are kind of screwed up. Um, He asked me to help him with his Tenacious D cartoon. So Jack had drawn. like maybe two to three thousand drawings. Oh my Imagine goodness. like Jack Black on the set wow. of like freaking Jumanji with just <laughs> computer paper, just drawing these like wow. really insane drawings. And so he called me up and was like, "Can you turn this into something?" And I, I said, "Of course, I'd love to." And so we created a an animatic type of cartoon to go along with this rock opera, Tenacious D and Post Apocalypto that him and KG basically improvised the the script for and had all these songs. And so they released the album. And now when you go see the tour, it has the the animations are up on the projector and it's part of the show. And we're actually going to be releasing it as a graphic novel next year. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's amazing. And, yeah. And so it says you did color. So what does that mean to someone who doesn't know anything about animation? Well, so because I had all of Jack's drawings, uh, my job was to take these, you know, thousands of drawings, scan them and turn them into an animated piece. And so that involved taking these black and white drawings and really adding backgrounds to them and adding color and color designing the whole thing. Um, it's weirdly super relevant to my life because when I was in New York City, I was a colorist uh, for a rock and roll poster artist. So I survived in New York making rock posters, making screen prints. And oh, wow. um, so, yeah, when Jack was like, do you know how to turn these drawings into like colored, beautiful things? I was like, I weirdly know exactly how to do that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I like, you know, colored Imagine like um, in an animation, you have the person that draws the black and white and the person that paints in the color. So I had to hand, I had to go in and hand color thousands of frames um, that Jack had drawn. Wow. And um, then did you animate them as well or did someone else animate there's them? There's like a, it's really closer to an animatic. It's not, because it's all hand done, it would have had to have been Jack hand drawing all the stuff. So the animation is very minimal, um, but it was me and this guy, Spiker, who uh, is also in Tenacious D. His name's John Spiker, and he's one of the, um, he's in the band that performs with Tenacious D. And so we work together to kind of assemble this huge piece. And it's like an, I think it's about an hour, maybe it's over an hour, but it's on YouTube. If you look up Tenacious D in Post Apocalypto, that's the whole thing. Oh, nice. Awesome. So backing up a little bit, sure. uh, not too much, but like, how did you meet Jack Black in the first place? How did this opportunity come about? It's crazy. Um, so I, I came to uh, Los Angeles four years ago, um, almost exactly. 
and I was coming here to pitch this cartoon called Doomed that I had drawn about dinosaurs that know the asteroid's going to hit and they're dealing with their coming apocalypse. They're dealing with the dread of their coming <laughs> extinction, um, nice. which was very, you know, dark and sad and chaotic. And um, I got to develop it with Dan Graney, who's one of the original Simpsons writers. He was attached as the co-creator and showrunner of it. And it was a great learning experience on just kind of pitching in Los Angeles, what that all looks like. Coming from doing a lot of independent work in New York, that was my first real, like, big, this is the industry. And during that process, uh, I got to meet with Jack Black's production company called Electric Dynamite. I met a producer over there named Spencer Berman. And Jack Black at that time was thinking about launching Electric Dynamite as, like, a YouTube channel that would have cartoons on it. And so they were considering Doomed as one of the cartoons that they would produce. So they, they met me on my dinosaur show, and then we just stayed in touch. And eventually Spencer Berman asked me, he's like, you know, if you ever have any other cartoons for Jack, like, let me know if you have anything. And I, I told him about Hey, It's the Mansons. And I was actually listening to that podcast, um, You Must Remember This. And oh, yeah. that's that's when I got the idea. I was like, oh, it's weird that Charles Manson was like trying to be in a band. And I was like, wait a second. Charles Manson, late 60s, band, Brady Bunch. And then the idea formed, and so I, I drew the cartoon. And I took that to Spencer and Jack, and they, they flipped out and wanted to do it. And he he had a, one or two good songs, too, I would add, Charles Manson. <laughs> yeah. Get on, yeah, what is the one, Get bad. On Your Game Girl? There was like, he was working with Dennis Wilson, I think. He was working with Dennis Wilson, and then Dennis Wilson basically kills himself from working. <laughs> he, he makes Pacific Ocean blue and then like walks into the ocean. But yes, it, there's like, Charles Manson wasn't bad as a singer-songwriter. I do have the out, I do have the vinyl. You do? Interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's wow, very, crazy. Wait, is that that's a vinyl that was available to buy, or did you just have it somehow? Uh, no, I conjured it. <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> I I bought it at a record store. Okay, so there's like a Charles Manson vinyl out there. Okay. Yes, yes. All right. See, I don't know much about the, the about Charles Manson. Apparently, no. It's um, this what I what I learned from watching, um, you know, uh, Once Upon a Time. In oh, right, right. <laughs> Which I don't know if it's true or not. If it's all just made up uh, craziness around, of course, the ending, which is I, right, you know. right. I think it's a bit of both, and um, you know, there is this like myth of Charles Manson, which is not quite clear what's true. But uh, it was fun to do. I mean, the cartoon was. He was the only real person because everyone in the cult could be seen as victims. We didn't want to use any real persons, you know what I mean? Because right. they kind of were, you know, uh, brainwashed by this guy. So it's not like Squeaky Fromm's in it. It's it's just Charles Manson and then a fictional kind of Manson family around him. Um. So how did you first start? Uh, in film like what was your first like entry into this world so do you want to I can tell you actually I can tell you a really sad story um, please <laughs> yeah so, we're here to make people cry <laughs> <laughs> it's a good it's a good first lesson it was really great so when I was in high school 
Um, I was a garbage theater performer. I would go out for all the plays and never make them. Um, but by my senior year, I finally got into one, which was super exciting. I was in The Nerd, um, and I, I, uh, the director there told us that they were filming a short film in Cleveland. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And he was like, go audition for this short film, and maybe you guys will get some experience of what it's like to be on set. And so I was like, that sounds great. And so I went to audition for the short film uh, with my friend Sam. And the director was like, can you keep reading? Can you keep reading? Can you keep reading? And eventually they told me that they were casting me as the lead in the short film. Uh, which was which was amazing, and it ended up being a really publicized short film. Oh wow! You're gonna want to ask what's the name of it, but don't worry. There's a there's a sad ending. So, um, <laughs> and what what year is this roughly? This is in 2005, going into 2006, because it's oh, my wow. senior year of high school. Um, so I'm in the short film and the, the owner of the 76ers, Pat Croce is the executive producer. And he, uh, because of that, we were on ESPN and we were in the news and we were in USA Today. There was actually like a two page spread that had my freaking picture in USA Today. My dad's like in the airport, picks up this paper and it's just I'm in there as this like feature on Pat Croce making this short film. So the short film is called The Messenger and it's about this kid who fails to deliver the Japanese letter of surrender to President Truman because he goes to get pancakes with his friends. And it's based (laughs) on a true story. And so I was that kid and um Anyways, we we make the movie and the director like tracks down the original Thomas E. Jones and does these, you know, interviews with what it was like, what he was, you know, talking to Truman. And anyways, we get into all these festivals. And so I buy a suit. I'm very excited. The director's like, you're going to go to the Philadelphia Film Festival. We're going to premiere there. Then we're going to go to all these other festivals. Tom Hanks wants to meet you. (laughs) It's like ridiculous stuff. And two days before the Philadelphia Film Festival, the director calls me and he's crying. And oh God, he's, he's crying when he's, he's calling, crying, oh, crying. I, and I get the phone call like in Jeez. high school, seeing us like my senior spring at this point. And he says he lied about everything. He he lied about getting the rights. <laughs> he hired an actor to be the old guy for like the credit sequence of like talking to Thomas E. Jones. <laughs> And because of the publicity of this short film, the real family found out and they were like, Tom, you know, Grandpa's dead. There's no way that this is an actor that's playing him. So they sued the director and the film never saw the light of day. Oh Um, my God. Which was a great experience in this industry in terms of like, you can't ever get ahead of yourself. And nothing's ever real until you see it on screen. And even then, like, maybe not. But that, like, you you know, it's with this career, you can definitely future trip and be like, all these things are going to happen. All this stuff's going to work out in my favor. And because there's so many factors and variables, it really isn't ever that sturdy of ground. Um, But it was a good, like, um, it was just a good experience for me to see what it was like to be an actor to see what a script was like, to see what a set was like, because I'd never done anything like that. 
And so when I got to college, I was hungry. I wanted to keep doing that. And uh, at Columbia, they just have film studies. So by my sophomore year, I got with my I got together with my friend Jeff, and we decided that we could form a club that would be funded by Columbia, and we could make short films. So we we like made like a, a website. We made all this graphic design. We made it look like we were legit. Then we asked Columbia for money, and they gave us money, and we formed a club called Project Blue Light, modeled after Project Green Light where kids would submit short films and we would assemble crews based on those. And we started making short films. And that was my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Wow. And how many short films did you guys make? We made three of them, and they were all really bad but wonderful. They were such a good... Like, they were... I love each and every one of them. But they were such great, just... I learned on every single one of them. Um, It's, you know, it's so important to just make stuff because you see your mistakes right and so yeah. that was uh that was fun i mean it was a blast we got to make one in spain which was ridiculous and uh we ended up working with nyu kids by the senior year and so i got to know a lot of nyu filmmakers which was super helpful and it really was a great uh, like almost an additional class on just just generating scripts producing things for more and more money and and figuring out how it all works. And and what were the budgets you were getting for these shorts from Columbia? They're not they're not big. They're like I think started with like a $5,000 short and ended with maybe we went up to like 10 or 15 for the second one and then maybe we were as high as like 15 or 20 for the third one. I mean, maybe, that's pretty maybe. good for college. It's pretty good for college. Yeah, it was great. I, I had no money when I, I made my first short films. Yes. <laughs> so. We were we were definitely we knew that Columbia University cost a lot of money. <laughs> we were like, they had an arts foundation, and we were like, they must have money somewhere. And maybe the numbers aren't that big. Maybe they are like closer to ten or fifteen thousand at the end. But it wasn't. It wasn't a thousand dollar short film. We were able to afford, you know, crews and stuff, and and waste money as, as you do when you're figuring it all out. Yeah, we did the same thing in the. At UCSB, uh, Santa Barbara, same thing, but for a screenwriting co-op. Oh, so nice. We would, we would bring in um, a lot of writers from Hollywood to come and talk and do these like really cool intensive seminars, and we we did the the similar thing. It was it was really cool. I actually just found my first like my first or second short film that I did in college. I just found it the other day when I was cleaning out something, and I'm like, I'm never watching this ever again. But I'm glad I have it. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad I have all of these things. They're they're so goofy and they're they're so great. And and at this time were you only writing or were you directing, writing, producing, doing everything or like what was your skill set, I guess? So I was actually producing um not totally trusting myself as a writer. Um I was I was in an improv group in college and I was writing musicals and it suddenly clicked to me at the very end of college that I was like, why am I not writing these scripts? <laughs> and But I graduated without having produced anything. So I started um, maybe around my junior year, like a sketch comedy group called The Works. Um, but after I graduated, I was like, okay, I want to be a writer. I've like, I've acted, which is fun. And I've produced things, which is not as fun. 
um, I really want to try writing. And the first thing I wrote was a cartoon. Uh, it was called Varmint. And it was about a town in the darkest of the dark ages. It's basically like the untold stories of this dark ages town. Because all the stories are tragedies and the town is always getting destroyed. And they are not like the unheroic stories of their square table. And I'm, I made it and I made an animatic and... I got these two guys from my improv group named Addison Anderson and Colin Drummond to come help me. And we basically got to pitch it to IFC. I got to sit like I was super young and I got to pitch it to this amazing executive. um, I think her name is Erin Keating. And we pitch it to them and they were like, who are you? <laughs> and, well, you know, like I didn't have too much experience. And they were like, well, the cartoon's good, but you guys haven't ever like made anything. Um, you guys should go make some content and, and then come pitch stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't have money at that time in New York to do like UCB or anything. Um, but I had Addison and Colin who are like incredibly talented and so funny. And I had made these short films in college, so I knew how to produce things. And so I got the same guy, Jeff, that had founded Project Blue Light with me. We had this long walk, um, in New York and we created this idea called Local Empire where we were like, we'll do a Kickstarter because Kickstarter was new at this time. And we'll raise $1,000. We know a couple of directors. We know some people with gear. And we'll start making our own sketch videos. So the idea was we would make between 8 and 10 sketch videos about once a month. And then we would have a huge premiere of these sketch videos uh, in Soho. And we would have a stand-up perform, like giant, we'd have like Adam Conover or Jermaine Fowler. Uh, I think he performed, but we, we had like Mike Lawrence performed and we would premiere our videos there. And so we ended up doing that. We, we raised a Kickstarter for like a thousand dollars and created this sketch comedy group called Local Empire. And through that, we ended up making over a hundred sketch videos that are all between two and three minutes of length. And we just generated them like again and again and again. And that is where I learned how to write and like work with others. And that's where like my hustle and the grind really came from was working with those guys. And it was through that, that we got managers, that we started to get attention. And these shows were, they self-funded the whole thing because we only needed 500 to a thousand dollars to make 10 sketches um, we were able to charge people like I don't know five or ten bucks at the door give the money to the comic keep the rest and fund our our next batch of sketches so we could make a two to three minute sketch for you know zero dollars to fifty dollars and we did that a hundred times Wow. Um, and then where did all these videos go? All, all to YouTube or something? They were all on YouTube. Um, we wow. ended up getting picked up by Above Average. And so we were an Above Average partner. They were on College Humor. They were on BuzzFeed. But this is right around 2013 or so. 
2013. And we, around that time, if you remember, BuzzFeed and um, Funny or Die and College Humor, they stopped hosting independent sketch comedy and they really started promoting their own stuff. And so it became really hard for us to get any real estate on their websites because they were just promoting their own material, which, you know, made sense. And they made great material and they had a lot of great videos come out. But um, Local Empire was this, you know, indie uh, uh, creation. And so we were living on YouTube kind of trying to fight for eyeballs all the time. And so after we made um, 100 sketch videos, I was, um, I was in Los Angeles for the first time, and I saw that like there wasn't a lot of independent film being made by people my age. There was a lot of short films, and there was a lot of sketches. Like tons and tons of people were doing sketches. And, and how old are you at this time, roughly? Uh, I'm like 24 or so, 25 maybe, 25. Wow. And so with all those sketch videos that you made, were you making money from YouTube or from Above Average or from some of your partners? Or was this just like what you made at the door when you uh, Uh, had people come in? Yeah, we didn't make any. I mean, all of our money went straight to um, the sketches. We never made any money. Um, It was all, yeah, it was all just to fund the production. Um, So at that, this is 2013, right? So I'm 25. And so at that time... My job, how I survived, um, that's when I started making, I started working for this rock and roll poster artist, David Welker, making rock and roll posters. So I I made posters during the day and I wrote sketches and edited them at night and shot them on the weekends and was just like surviving in New York off of dumplings. (laughs) And it was, I mean, it was definitely like a thin period, but I loved it. It was... I was just constantly making stuff. It was amazing. Um, I had worked a little bit at a post-production house called The Mill uh, as a runner, as kind of a PA, but that was the only real like job I had that was close to any type of production stuff. Uh, I was there for a year. and But then when I knew I wanted to do Local Empire, I knew I needed to have time, and it really was like half of my day was making sketches, editing sketches, writing sketches, um, promoting sketches. And then the other half was making rock and roll posters. And I took some freelance jobs writing TED Talks. I actually wrote some animated (laughs) TED videos. Oh, that's great. If you look up uh, Vampires and Michael Molina, there's a big animated lesson that I teach you the history of vampires. And there's also one on Deja Vu that I did. Um, but yeah, that was the, that was my time in New York, really like 2013, 2014. I'm making all these sketch videos. And after we had made a hundred of them, I was like, let's make a feature film because we had made like 300 minutes uh, of content. And I was like, we can we can do a feature film. We can we've we've done this at least a few times. And and then for these sketches, you're writing all these. That's your, uh, with or, with Addison and Colin. But okay. we all the the writing process was like we would all go off and maybe write six to ten sketches ourselves. So we would show up and have a couple of meetings 
uh, we would meet like on Wednesdays and Sundays or something. And we would present all of our sketches to each other. And we would just go through and pick the best ones. And Jeff Schwartz would be there and he would also chime in and we would end up with usually a pretty even distribution, but um, it really was whoever had the best sketch, like we were gonna make those. It wasn't like you had to have um, an even amount. And so it definitely encouraged you to be uh, on your game because you wanted to have your stuff made. Um, and so we were, the, we were the writers, we were the producers, and we also had a lot of help. I mean, the amount of help that we had to do Local Empire is absolutely insane. We had so many, like, we had people like Gabia Blake and Lee Havlicek coming in and Maura McNamara, like all these amazing people that just um, donated and contributed their time uh, to either help us produce stuff, to hold the microphones, to hold the freaking boom mics, to like be our crappy gaffers, to we had all these amazing editors that were working at post houses in New York that just wanted to have stuff for their reels. I mean, we were all really hungry young people in New York and we were able to find um, a community of directors and cinematographers that just wanted to have stuff, right? One of the hardest parts about this career is you don't, people will be like, you need to have experience to get experience. Um, and just getting that first experience is so hard. And so we became this system of like uh, getting directors to just make um, one sketch for us. We got this great guy, Matt Kasman, to do a couple. And, you know, he's gone on to like have uh, incredible success uh, with his short films at, you know, multiple awards. But these were just people in New York that were our age that were just trying to like work things out and exercise. And that's what we were providing was this like just insane amount of churning out sketches and having this show, um, which was great. Like Local Empire really was built from like tons and tons of people that just wanted to be making things. And we, we had the gift um, of that energy from everybody. So at this point, then how, how did, I guess, can you talk a bit about Trivia Night and how the story came about, how the funding came about, and that whole process? So one of the big, one of our most, like, more frequent um, collaborators in the sketches is this director named Robbie Gregson. He probably filmed about half of the Local Empire sketches. I mean, which is to say he made, like, 40 to 50 sketches with us, which is insane. And um, we just like, we were on the same wavelength. You know, he's like the fifth Beatle, right? He just, we connected with Robbie and we were like, we wanna make a movie with this guy. And so we all came together and we looked at, um, I, I was into the Robert Rodriguez uh, El Mariachi model. And I was like- Definitely, um, yeah. I mean that's how that's how we did our sketches too, which was like we would we would see who our friends were that were actors and actresses and we would use them appropriately. So we didn't really do it wasn't like kids in the hall where we were like, you know, playing getting into costume or anything. It's like if we needed an old person, we'd use an old person. If we needed a girl, we'd use a girl. Um, you know, that that was um how we approached Trivia Night as well, which is like, what are the resources that we have? Right, this is El Mariachi. It's like, what do we have? How much money do we have? And what's the story that we can tell 
um, with those elements. So I was like, okay, how much money can we raise? And we figured we could raise around $35,000. And we're like, let's say we can make a $35,000 film and we're gonna shoot it all around New York City. So our sets are gonna be New York and bars and apartments and restaurants because these are all things that we were able to get when we did Local Empire, when we did all the sketches, we created all of these um, partnerships. Like we, we got to know bars, we got to know restaurants and we got to be like, hey, can we come shoot in your place before you open up? Can we shoot in your office building on the weekend? And that's how we got all of our sets. It's all favors. It's all like amazing favors from people that um, would come to a bar and open it up an hour early just so we could shoot there or would let us shoot on their rooftop because someone's friend's cousin's aunt had an amazing rooftop. And we're like, this is a perfect place to shoot a sketch. Um, so we, we brought that to Trivia Night where we were like, okay, what are all the sets that we can get? Uh, off of favors what do we have to pay for and um, what's the story and so the story was there's a guy who is um, a bar trivia kingpin and he's obsessed with this unbeaten game show kind of like when nobody had beaten who wants to be a millionaire so he's obsessed with this show and he was on it years ago and had horribly embarrassed himself and now he's determined to get on the show because it's its last season and the final episode is coming up so he wants to make it on the final episode to kind of uh prove you know get his vengeance on the show um and that was trivia night uh and it, there's a little bit of like king of comedy to it it was a little like dark and surreal and fun and <laughs> I love King of Comedy. Oh yeah, that's uh, a that's a good one. Yeah, it was great. I'm sure Joker's gonna be very King of uh, the new Joker movie. Oh, man, um, I can't wait for that movie. It's like I my favorite trailer. Be... I know years. it's so good. Oh, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, that was trivia night. We were like, okay, we are, you know, we we figured out the roles, and I was in. We were all in it, um, but we had to like obviously get a cast, and we had to pay people, and it was the like SAG ultra low budget, but we did everything union. We made sure that people were paid and uh, we made sure that we did everything kind of by the book uh, just because we were gonna, we wanted to have that more professional experience and send it to festivals. And um, that's what we did. Yeah, so we made, we raised, we made $35,000, which was uh, absolutely insane. Uh, and we pulled off this movie Somehow, <laughs> in like December uh, in New York, we just, we created this beautiful film and we spent the next year editing it and working on it together and sent it out to festivals and, and ended up getting into some smaller festivals and it won some awards. And it, I'm so thankful for it. And it's on, it's on Amazon Prime now if you want to see our little, you know, trivia night. Definitely. Did you get uh, distribution for it, or did you? No, we had to pay whatever the. Um, there was a couple of like distribution companies, but we ended up just we're like, let's just do it ourselves, and we got it on Amazon, and and that was fun. That was good for us. So, for me, like making a couple features, like it really uh, kind of took the uh, the wind out of me, so to speak. <laughs> um, what was your experience like after? Like I had this huge 
both times, but really the second time, like a crazy like come down, oh, where because yeah. I I had been going so f- hard for, you know, five or six years with no stop. I had, you know, moved to Texas and back and moved like five or six times and, um, you know, just a whole host of of life things. And so, did you experience any kind of like craziness afterwards, or what did you what did the experience do for you in, in uh, emotionally, let's say? Because for me, it was like very lonely. Sure. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm a psycho, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I, I just wanted to keep going. It was so awesome that as soon as we finished trivia night, I was like, what are we doing next? And, uh, I wanted to make this horror movie called Pale Horse. Um, but also I think what happened at that time, so this is 2015 and this is actually when I move to Los Angeles. So Trivia Night gets into festivals and we're having a slow time getting our next movie going. And my I start to have one foot out the door because I, I wanted to, you know, making all these sketches and making the movie was to, it all started from making this cartoon, Varmint, and having this um, person say, go make stuff. And so I always kind of wanted to come back to cartoons. And so that's in 2015, I started working on this cartoon called Doomed. And um, what happened really after making Trivia Night is that I love this movie and it was so hard to get it in front of people. And it was so hard to get into festivals. (laughs) Yep. And it was like, we didn't have any celebrities in it. We didn't have any stars. And so I started to see the wall that was certain film festivals where it's like, if you don't have anybody in it, no one, they're not going to, they most likely will not pick your movie. Um, it's, it's, I didn't even realize that there are actors that have agents whose sole job is to get their movie into Sundance and South by Southwest. Like we didn't even realize the machine that we were competing against. Um, which isn't to say that movies can't get into those festivals it's just that it's really, really hard. And our movie was, you know, like, it was about a couple of 20-somethings that were obsessed with uh, trivia nights and and trying to get on a game show. It wasn't like it was this crazy, poignant perspective narrative. Um, it was just a really, really fun comedy, and we thought that that would be enough to get us places. And um, it was interesting for me to see that, like, there do I want to make independent film or do I want to try to get into the industry? And they're two very different Ah, things. Yes, indeed. Right. And so in 2015, I was like, I want to get, I want to be in the industry. Like if I'm going to have to like battle against this machine, I'd rather be in it than continuing to do this fight from New York doing indie films. And it was, it was exhausting. It was really hard. And we spent, you know, I, it was almost a full-time job doing Local Empire, doing Trivia Night, and trying to get it places. Um, and so then I was like, I want to get to L.A. because I want to give us a leg up. I want to start making those connections. I want to start I want to start giving us a better shot of, of getting um, our work out there. You know, I want to get an agent. I want to be working with a manager. I want to have those tools that kind of help you get seen, that help you get to those next big stages. So 
well, just going back to Trivia Night really quick, what was the budget on that? Can you say? It was $35,000. Oh, okay, so like, super, super duper low. Super yeah. low. Yeah, it was crazy. Nice. Uh, and then, so was it right after that that you moved to Los Angeles? And is, did you already have the cartoon ready to pitch at that time, or did that come later? I came to Los Angeles to pitch Doomed. And... Um, we, so we filmed Trivia Night, uh, we film it in December of 2014, and then we spend the first half of 2015 editing it, getting it together, and sending it out to festivals, and that's when I moved to LA um, to come pitch Doomed, and I, I stay here. I mean, I ended up like, I, I fell in love with Los Angeles, and Trivia Night gets into festivals for 2016, um, and that's when, you know, that's when we put it online. But, um, yeah, I knew that I, like, I kept being interested in the writing career, in writing for TV, and I would visit L.A., and um, the first time I ever came to Los Angeles was we, so Local Empire got asked by College Humor to come up with a TV show um, by this producer, John Cohen, and I came up with a show called Soft Boiled about these friends that work at a diner. And they create a detective agency for all of the issues that people in town have. Those like crimes that are too small for the cops, but too big to let go. And um, that was our, you know, our cute little sitcom. And we, we got flown out to L.A. and we stayed in like Highland. And I was like, OK, I want to like I want to be in the big leagues. I want to be here. Um, and so then in 2015, uh, I was like, I'm going to make the move. I'm going to go try. And Local Empire, um, Addison has kept, we disbanded basically. We tried to keep writing together, but it was really hard to do it in different cities. And uh, Addison has kept writing and making stuff, and he's doing a lot of voice acting. He's actually the voice of a lot of the TED Talks. Um, but he's uh, he's a brilliant like he's doing stand-up and he's doing improv he's a dynamic performer who's still killing it in new york and um colin is more focused on um he 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 got married he wants to have kids he's got a, a great career and that's kind of where he's kept writing just as this this hobby and passion that he still has rather than the career um which is a total grind and an insane gamble. So I totally understand why Colin would just want to support a family <laughs> than like do the big risk of trying to <laughs> right. make it out here. So he, the, he, so the uh, one's doing voice acting and the other one kind of, kind of got a real job and got a real job being, being responsible. Being like responsible. we all should be exactly. basically. Exactly. <laughs> and we still talk. I mean, we still love each other and there was no, there was, it wasn't like an ugly breakup. I mean, we texted yesterday about varmint ideas. I mean, I do believe that one day we will make the cartoon varmint. Like that will, it'll be something. Like I, I just, it's, it's what brought us together. It's still so funny and we'll make it somehow. And that'll be a really, really fun day when we do come together to create it. Nice. But I'm the one who sold out, guys. <laughs> Did you? How'd you sell? No, I didn't sell out. No. But I, I moved to LA to do the career, to do the like, to do the industry. Right, right. 
Well, talk to us about that. Like, talk talk to us about because now you work for Nickelodeon, right? That's your your main gig now. I got Viacom, um, CBS as my. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, baby. The, no, the big, I, the big, the big dogs. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess I want to get to how you landed at Nickelodeon, and like, was this through pitching one of your own shows, or yeah, just talk to us about how you ended up where you are. So um, right before, so the the week that I'm leaving um, for Los Angeles. I um, I saw my friend Craig, and Craig uh, Craig Atkinson is a very talented director who, in DP and editor, he worked on Jesus Camp uh, with um, Heidi and Rachel, and he made uh, Detropia, and he ended up making this film Do Not Resist, which was a great documentary that uh, did well at Tribeca, and so he's this amazing documentary filmmaker that I'm buddies with. And he asks me who I know in Los Angeles. And at that point, I knew like four people. You know, I knew Dan Graney from the Simpsons. <laughs> I didn't know anybody. Right. And so he tells me, he's like, all right, I've been, he's been shooting this uh, documentary for, Nor- for Norman Lear. And he says, you know, he's like, oh, I, I, I know the producer really well. He's also from Ohio. Why don't you send me a script? Uh, send me your best pilot, your best sample, and I'll send it along to Brent Miller, and um, maybe you guys can meet up. Uh, so I sent him this crazy script I have called the the Gangs All Here. He sent it to Brent, and and I was on the road to LA when I got the email from Brent, which was like, I love this. Come in, meet with me, meet with Norman's company, Act Three Productions, and um, we'll go from there. Wow, that's so, incredible. So you're like, you're crazy. just moving, you're like making a big move, and <laughs> yes. then you already have your first meeting with like a big name. Yes. That's crazy. It was crazy. And, and, and this script, was this something that you had written years ago that you just had in your drawer? Or like, tell us about this project a little. Yeah, so my my mindset became, starting in around 2013, I would write a pilot every spring. Um, and it was just like, my brain was that like, if, I'm going out for staffing season or I'm trying to get stuff made. It's not to get bogged down if one script doesn't work. It's just to can keep generating ideas. So this was the, I think this is the second pilot that I write. It's called The Gang's All Here. It was loosely inspired by my dad. So my dad's from Columbia and he learned English watching Sesame Street, which I thought was really cute. And so I, I created this show that was a very dark version of that about a guy who learned English watching the Cosby show. This was, you know, pre me too, but this was the idea was that this guy was obsessed with this show called the gangs all here, which was, you know, your basic eighties family sitcom. It could have been, you know, family matters. Um, and so he learns English watching the show and in his fifties, he realizes he's never going to be as happy as the family is on this show. And he's memorized every single episode. So he decides to adopt a family, which you can do. You can adopt people uh, older than you even, just as long as they say that you're they're the guardian. So he adopts a family to mirror the family on the show, and he goes about <laughs> recreating the show episode by episode with this adopted family. 
That's insane. It was insane. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, that's like the you know you always hear from podcasts and other writers like what what you sh- what should you write like what should be the thing that you write and they're like think of like the most oddball like thing that's out there that also is personally you at the same time. I know. I know. It sounds like you nailed it, man. <laughs> yeah, that I mean that one gave, definitely got me some great attention. Um, the other one that got me some great attention was this multicam. For any TV writers out there that are young, write a multicam because no one in their 20s is writing a multicam and (laughs) networks are only looking for multicams right now. And so it's like if you can be a young person that has a good multicam, you're just going to jump to the head of the line. That's it's so funny. Just, it's nobody writes, but I wrote a multicam called The Espinosas that was oh. about uh, my childhood. About nice. and and it, it's it still works for me. It still is a sample that is used. Um, That's funny, which is great. I've I've actually directed uh, five episodes of a multicam. Oh hell yeah! So at least I have a little bit of experience in there. They wouldn't let me write any episodes. They oh, like sure. were like, no, 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 you're not gonna write. Oh, I was like, oh, can I rewrite? Oh, can so I change weird. the line? They're like, no, no, no. But like, just direct them. I was like, okay, sure, all right, all right. Fine, psychos. And they have not been released yet. <laughs> no, it's all right. But one day they will be. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know when they're coming out, Ulrich. Um, they're like, there's a trailer that's out. That's, that's like my work. The trailer that I cut, that's got like, back when it was released, it got like 10,000 hits immediately on Instagram, which was cool. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's basically like they were going to premiere it this, this summer and then that didn't happen. So I'm just, now I'm just waiting to, to hear when they're gonna, when they're gonna show it to people, you know? It's on IMDb, though. I have the credit. Okay. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, But back to you, Michael. Um, Yeah, so... (laughs) uh, Oh, so how I get to Nickelodeon. So so anyway, the the reason Norman Lear plays into this story uh, is because... So um, I do Doomed. It doesn't sell. I do the uh, Hey, It's the Mansons with Jack Black. It doesn't sell. And at this time, I had been working with Norman Lear's company to come up with an idea. And I came up with a show called um, Man of the House. And, and then just timeline-wise, how long does it take for those two shows to not sell? Basically one year each. Um, oh, wow. So this is like two years later now. Oh, yeah. Like, it's oh, hard. Wow. It's, it's, it's a grind. Just, like, developing, writing it, getting it out there, doing the meetings. I think that's really important to illustrate for listeners that, like, this shit doesn't happen fast. Like, it takes forever, you know, just to get turned down. It takes a long time to get your nose. Um, But um, you just have to, like, I mean, that's when when people ask me, you know, in their early 20s, I want to be a writer. How do I do it? My first thing is, do you have five to ten years at your disposal to accept a lot of no's. <laughs> if yeah. you're willing to endure, if you're willing to go through that, if you really want it, you should do it. But if you're like, I need to be paid to write within the year, it's an unrealistic expectation. It's really, really hard and takes a long time. Um, but I came here with that mindset where I was like, I'm going to start <laughs> making money writing like right now. And I didn't. <laughs> uh, I ended up like wow. getting... Um, my first job was a little feature that I wrote um, oh. for this company called 3311 that did Brigsby Bear and Table 19. 
Oh, um, wow. That was my first job, which was which was awesome out here. Was that was that in that two year span when you're getting yes. those? Yes. Wow. I got to write that's, a feature, that's which was crazy. amazing. And you got paid to do this. Got thing too? paid to write. Wow. I had to like frame it. It was such a big deal. Wow, and that's huge. It was huge. Um, but I was still doing rock posters at that time, and I started doing Tenacious D work at that time. So that's really how I I stayed alive. Was my oh, weird so you day paid jobs. the bills? Yeah, I had to pay the with bills your, with your crazy awesome day with jobs of like working for job. Tenacious D and making rock posters. I know, that's awesome. I, it's definitely a bizarre bizarre resume. Um, okay, so this so, third show so, you're talking about, I make Man of the House, and um, the idea was to do a Norman Lear um, sitcom for kids. Uh, and it was like going to be a little bit heavy and deal with some closer to real stuff. And we take it out to Disney and um, maybe like Amazon and Netflix. And they all pass on it because it was too, it was too heavy. There's like too much like real stuff going on. Uh, which was a That's bummer. kind of what he's known for, though. Eh, yeah, we were we were like, guys, this is Norman Lear. <laughs> this is like, but this is so. Yeah, this is like we get passed on it. Um, this is the live action version. So the live action version I actually pitched in 2016. I pitch um, uh, Hey, it's the Mansons in 2017. And then at the so then like Hey, it's the Mansons gets a no, and I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? Gotta find some, you know, working for Tenacious D, but I gotta like, all right, like gotta keep pushing. And then I get a call in November of 2017 from Brent Miller, uh, Norman's producer. And they had just met with Nickelodeon. And he asked if I wanted to take Man of the House to Nickelodeon as a cartoon. And I said, of course, like, yes. And he's like, we have to do it in two weeks. And I was like, okay. So um, <laughs> I like between Thanksgiving and like December 14th, I like recreated the whole show as a cartoon. And I sent the like pitch and Bible to Brent. He emailed me at like 10 o'clock at night, the day before the pitch. And he was like, hey, um, I want you to redo like half of this. Um <laughs> Can, can you wow. do it by our pitch tomorrow morning? And I said, wow. yes. So I showed up, um, you know, kind of shooting from the hip. And what I learned from Norman and Brent was to bring yourself into the room when you're pitching a show. Um, because they're not just buying your idea. They're buying you as the person as a well of stories. And so that's what I emphasized was that here's me throughout this story. This person's based on my sister. This person's based on my brother. This is my hometown. These are characters from my life. Because the plots are going to change. The stories are going to change. But I'm going to be the constant variable throughout. And so I'm presenting myself as the expert and the one to tell this story. Nobody else can tell this story because it's coming from my life. And that was Man of the House, and Chris Viscardi was the executive who bought it basically in the room. He, like, oh, walked wow. us down. Like, he was like, this is great. We definitely have something here. We'll be in touch. And then I, like, you know, we were very, very hopeful. Then I paced nervously for, like, a week, and we got the phone call that we sold the show. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Which, which was amazing, but it has a sad story. <laughs> wait, wait. Before you get to the sad part, 
can you just tell us what materials you had during this meeting yeah. and like what you had to rework that over that night? You know, like what was the ask that you got? So I pitched a two page document <laughs> and like, that's the way I like was like told to pitch from Dan Graney. And what I did with Jack Black was that um, you're going to develop this show with people. And what I, what I, end up crafting and the way that I end up pitching is I have these very, very simple kind of points to hit on a show. And I make it as conversational and engaging as possible. But the points to hit are, this is your log line. It's like a one line description of the show. If you can't do that, think of another show. But here's the <laughs> log line of the show. This is the show. Then it's the big picture. This is basically your like trailer we're gonna do this, we're gonna go here, this is gonna happen, these are the types of stories, these are the jokes, this is gonna be this wonderful world, you're gonna feel this way. Once you kind of have them feeling, they're starting to, they know the show, they get the vibe, then you do characters. This character, this character, this character, then you do the world, they live here, they go there, it takes place around here. Then you do the tone, it's gonna feel this way, it's this type of comedy. And then you do one example episode. This is how it all works. Um, and that's like a, it ends up being a 20 to 30 minute discussion. But what I don't try to do is have it wrote, have it memorized where I'm like robotic, like having to hit jokes. The worst is when you go to pitch something and you have to like hit a joke because it's so clunky. And if they don't laugh at it, you're screwed and right. you're not listening to them, right? So so this document though, is it just bullet points or like what does it look like? It's paragraphs. It's like here's a line, here's the log line, here's a paragraph on the world the the big picture. Here is two to three lines for every character and two to three lines for the world. Um, but I, I really talk about them a lot longer than the document is not what I am telling them. The document is just my guide. And it is my resource for like the basic, basic facts. But I really try to make these characters come to life um, in the room. And there's no pitch deck with images or no, because they'll like pay that. you for all that. I mean, you ah, can make a pitch deck, but you don't. I mean, you can. You totally can, and you can do leave behinds. It's it, there's there's definitely fun ways to do it. What's a, so, what's a leave behind for us who don't know? Leave behind is just what you're saying, like a pitch deck. It's like, oh, it's something like, that you're going to leave with them. I get it. Yeah. yeah, here's like a packet of 10 pages that explains everything. Right. Um, you can do all that stuff, but I sold Man of the House without it. And then I end up selling another show without it. Um, and then this document, do you present it like you're going to show them the document? No, or is no. this just your document that you like are looking at while this, you're doing your talk? I, I don't even bring it into the room. Oh, I you just don't? have oh, okay. No, I just wow. like, I have a notebook that has the, like, literally has a, on a page that is like logline, big picture, characters, world, tone, episode. And I just wow. like go through that because really my main focus is being as present as possible, trying to like make jokes and listen to them as they're asking questions. And then you, you said you also had a show Bible too for this, right? Yeah, we created a show. I mean, so they bought Man of the House and then they pay you to make the Bible. And so that oh, was... so you don't make the Bible beforehand, you make it after. 
you make it after because they might change some things. And oh, interesting. You're going to have to adjust and learning what's on Nickelodeon and making sure, you know, it's it's um, the way I think of TV shows sometimes is it's like you're it's it costs millions and millions and millions of dollars to make. And to show up assuming that you know how to use a hundred millions of dollars of their money is a dangerous thing. Um, but to be uh, like, I have a great idea. Can you help me build it? Um, I think is more like you guys know how to build machines. I just have a really good idea for one that can generate a lot of stories. And wow. let's let's work together to figure this out. Um, it's like showing up at GE with an idea for a car. You don't have to show up and be like, this is exactly how you make a car because they're the manufacturers, you're not, right? You're just the guy with the idea. It seems like your experience with improv has probably paid off a lot with pitching. Oh, 100%, yeah. sketch comedy, I mean. Improv and speech and debate uh, in high school. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Fujimoto. But it was, um, you have to go into a room with people that are already ready to say no to you. Um, you're going into a room asking for tons of money and they're going to look for every reason to say no. Um, and so it's, you're having to win them over. You're having to convince them that you're the right person and you're having to accept that they're already ready to say no. Um, I just love that. Cause I've, you know, I've heard a little bit about pitches from other filmmakers and talking on the show and stuff. And a lot of the people do say that like, yeah, 10 page, like pitch deck of some sort is always a good thing to have prepared, you know, and that like, maybe you don't give it to them until after you leave or whatever, but like, it's like a, th a thing that you should make. But, uh, I love this whole concept or, <laughs> you know, of not doing that. Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> and, and, but like, but, but pre preparing just as hard, obviously. Right. I and prepare like, so hard. Yeah. yeah like it, know it, your shit. You have to know, you have to be the expert on your show. Yeah. You have to be ready to talk for hours and hours and hours about your show. Um, yeah, but but then it doesn't mean that you have to be a great graphic designer in order to no. be a director or a writer, that you can just actually just be a writer and then you can, just focus on that. Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to, like, cast your show. You don't have to, like, do all the work that they're going to do. You know what I mean? You don't have to make a sizzle. It's like if you have a good enough idea and you can communicate it well enough, that's a great enough starting point. Um, you don't have to write a script. It's like for some places if you have no experience you should have a pilot script but it really is like how great is your idea and how well can you communicate it if you can't do it in 15 to 20 minutes you can't do the show right because they're going to be relying on you for the future to be the one driving the ship and if you don't know how to just sit down with a room of people to explain it how are you going to be the creator and showrunner how are you going to be the leader of this show I feel, feel like I want to do an entire other episode on just how to ideate to choose the right ideas that it will have the engine enough to become a show and, and how to generate, you know, a show that would that you could go into a room and say, here's episode, I don't know, 60 or 80. Right, right. Yeah, that is a I mean, it is you are building a machine, right? Uh, especially for network TV, especially for television, you're trying to build something that's just going to make episodes and episodes of television so you i don't even pitch the season like i don't even say like 
at the beginning of the season, we're going to start here. By the end of the season, they're going to feel this way. It, it really is. You don't like, do that. Wow. No, it's like for um, for all these shows, it's like I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to get so far into the development process. That's what we're going to do next. So right. they 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 pay you to develop the show, um, and you work with them and you learn from them rather than being like I know exactly what we're doing. I I try to stay as humble and as open to guidance as possible. I want to learn from the people that have made 50 TV shows how I should make my TV show rather than tell them this is exactly how it's going to go. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so we make Man of the House over 2017 and then we get into like uh, character design, we have music, there's like original Black Eyed Peas are going to do the music and it's this crazy cartoon. Um, but in November of this, of 2018, Chris Viscardi moved into features at Nickelodeon and a new executive was brought in to oversee the animation slate. And she had a new kind of, she showed up with a new slate. And so ours was scrapped. Um, so was was my buddy Jordan's in that that slate. Yeah. Oh, really? (laughs) That's funny. Previous guest of the show, Jordan, who we talked to about his show at, at Nickelodeon. Oh, man. But it was that great lesson that I had learned from high school, which is like, even if you have a show with Norman Lear at Nickelodeon, like, it is not going to be on air until it's on air, right? And so it was like, yeah, everything seemed to be churning along fine, and then things changed. Wow. Um, And that was the, like, so I lost the show, and again, I was kind of back to square one at the top of this year, but because of you know, working hard, making connections, um, trying to go through this career gracefully and not burn bridges. Um, I didn't like, you know, have a a hissy fit when Nickelodeon said no. I said, great, what else can we do? And um, I got asked to test for their show, The Casa Grandes, which I ended up getting staffed on, which was an amazing gift. And I got asked to meet with the head of live action, Shauna Phelan, um, for you know, just a general, which ended up becoming a pitch. Um, I I went in to meet with Shauna at the end of March. She told me she was looking for this type of show and that she wanted to work with Eugenio Derbez's company, Tripas. And so I went over to Tripas, I pitched them. I was one of 25 writers to come up with a take on this show. I created a show called Zillion de Juan. And we came in to pitch it to, <laughs> Funny. Uh, thank you. Um, it's a multi-cam about a kid named Juan who finds out the kid that moved into the floor above him is a zillionaire and they become best friends. So it's a little bit like inverse Fresh Prince. Um, it's set in like an apartment building in Chicago. Um, but so we, we came in to pitch it to Brian Robbins at the end of April. So he's the, he's the head of Nickelodeon. Um, so I got to sit down with the guy, which was amazing. And... He, uh, you know, I pitched it at four o'clock and I got a call at seven o'clock that we had sold it, uh, which wow. was insane. It's amazing. It was amazing. And then I did the Bible, I developed it, and I wrote the pilot um, just this past July. So now we're waiting. So now, you know, Brian Robbins is reading it and we'll see if he wants to go forward with producing the pilot, uh, which will happen this fall. So, you know, fingers crossed, but again, nothing, nothing certain. Um, 
thankfully I, I am on the Casa Grande, so I, I do have that already dream job that I'm living um, and get to do wow. every day. That's incredible, man. What a story. Um, <laughs> and, and like, you know, we have to wrap this up like right now. Um, but, uh, like there's so much more to talk about, but we'll definitely just have to have you back on for another episode where we can like do like the breakdown of what it's like to write for television. And then also hopefully talk about what it's like to make your pilot. Yeah. You know, assuming all goes well. Let's that. do, let's do a catch up and see if I failed or succeeded. But uh, well, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it sounds like, you know, even if you fail, it still can be a success it in is. some way. Cause you have so many failures along your yes. story. Yes. Quote unquote failures. Yes. Um, but they're all like add up into what become has become your career, you know, exactly. which is yeah. awesome. Thank you. Uh, all right. Well, what, just really quick, one final piece of advice for like young writers out there. Do you have anything like that you can say in a small little bite-sized chunk? Um, the first, I think the first thing that you write should be something from your life because you will be an expert on that. And, you know, if you start by writing about an office or space or the post-apocalypse, which many people <laughs> do, right. um, it's a little far away. But if you just start simple, uh, you really start with what you know, just for your first script, it's a good way to already have a lot of the research and information done. Um, so you don't have to be doing all of that legwork. You can just focus on getting story and structure down. Um, the, nice. other, the other thing I've learned recently that I was just talking about with another writer this morning is that writing um, is n entirely in the structure of your script. The, the dialogue, all that stuff can change, but your writing, like the core of your script is from an outline, a structured outline that has act breaks and just you have already figured out the um, shape and design of your arc before you write the first line of dialogue. Um, that's like, it's so crucial to just know the structure of your story before you begin writing it. Otherwise you'll get to page like 18 and be like, what the fuck happens? Um, that's my, my <laughs> most giant piece of advice is to write an outline. Just use the Dan Harmon story circle or use, um, hero with a thousand faces or use Christopher Vogler, the hero's journey. Just use something and just write a basic outline. Nice. Awesome. Well, I like both those pieces of advice, um, especially the first one, because I think like oftentimes people tell you not to just write your life story as your first thing. But that's kind of like, you know, what I what my first feature is going to be is going to be based off my life, you know. So, you know, I yeah, just know. your first just one. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're going to be a writer, you're going to write hunt. You're going to write so many scripts. You're going to get to write your post apocalyptic script. So right. go, go psycho, but just the first one, just make sure you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, Michael, where can people find your work? Are you on Twitter? Are you on the Internet? Do you have a Web page? Like, where should people go to check you out? Um, I don't have I, – I think – so, Local Empire is, is my early stuff. It's YouTube.com slash Local Empire TV. And then Amazon, uh, Trivia Nights on Amazon. And then the Casa Grandes is going to be premiering on Nickelodeon October 14th. Woo! Woo! 
<laughs> which nice. is it's closer to like Hey Arnold. So if you like the that type of storytelling and cartoon, um, I think you'll like the Casa Grandes. Nice, awesome. Um, and then and no Twitter, no social media, none of that stuff. I don't have any. Tw- I don't have Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. If you want to find me on Instagram, Ooh. my Instagram is fishing accident. And feel free to follow and ask more questions. Fishing accident. I want to know the story behind uh, that, there's but there's no story. time. We'll <laughs> yeah. go into that later. Um, but yes, uh, thanks, Michael, for coming on, coming on the show. This has been amazing just to hear your whole odyssey. I mean, wow, really crazy. Um, but it's, I don't know, I just love that you made so many things. I think that's thanks, like, man. to me, the big takeaway is like make stuff. You yes, know? make stuff. And, and don't like, you know, worry about if it's going to be good or great or whatever, but just make as much stuff as you can and then just keep on making stuff. And it seems like that's really served you well because you just make a lot of stuff, it sounds yeah. like. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that is. That is. The hustle is real. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to check out our website, you can go to makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode, including all the local empire stuff and all the early stuff we can dig out of Michael's past if we can find it on the internet. <laughs> um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I am Ulrich B on Twitter and Instagram. And Andrew Schrader, you are. Uh, I am not on Instagram or Twitter, but you can oh. find uh, more of my work at uh, andrewjschrader.com. So you don't do any social media either, huh? I mean, I'm on Facebook, but you can find me on Facebook. Yeah, sure. Andrew Schrader. Yeah, there yeah. you go. But your website, that's a good, that's a good place to go. Yeah, if Lots you want to like, find there. work and stuff, yeah. Yeah. And if you like the show, tell a friend, help us spread the word. You can also leave a review on iTunes and, or Stitcher, which is really good. We're going to start reading those again soon, very soon. And yeah, thanks again to, oh, and we have a Patreon page. Check out the Patreon. Uh, if you want to help this episode get out there or more episodes like it, uh, go to Patreon because that's how my editor gets paid. And uh, if he doesn't, then I have to figure out how to pay him myself, um, you know, which is, yeah, always a struggle. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again and talk to you guys next week. All right. Thanks, guys.